Fellowship Podcast. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson takes us to Joshua 20. In this passage, we learn that in those times when it seems like you are free-falling without a parachute, you have something better. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. Some of you guys are too young to probably remember this toy. I don't know if they still make it or not, but it was a little soldier and it had a parachute, a little paratrooper. It had a parachute attached to it. And so as a little kid, you could throw this soldier up in the air and this little parachute would pop up and he would just parachute down. Kind of like this. Forgot his parachute, sorry about that. No, leave it there. I watched a video uh, this week and it was about, it was an on the street video talking about where do you get your security? So these guys are just going in the street, just asking random people, where is your security? Where do you find security? What is your security in? 99% of the video, just to be honest, was a kind of a waste of time. But there was one response at the end of this video that I found very intriguing. When this man was asked, where is your security? The man responded, there's no such thing as security. Life is just a free fall without a parachute. His stance on life is just a free fall without a parachute. When I heard that, I thought, how sad for him. How hopeless, how helpless would that be if you feel like all life is is just this free fall and you have no parachute. Let me invite you to turn to Joshua chapter 20. In Joshua 20, we find a parachute, if you will. It talks about the cities of refuge. Now, if you were with us last week, you might remember that we were in Joshua chapter 10. Now we're in 20, so we've skipped 11 through 19. We may come back and get some nuggets in there, but just for context, chapters 11 through 13 deal with uh, all the kings that have been defeated by Joshua and the armies and the Israelites, and then land that still has to be taken. So they're in the middle of their campaign. They've taken some of the land. They still have some land that they continue to need to take. Chapters 14 through 19 deal with all the division and allotment of land. Each of the tribes were given some land in the promised land, some territory. So those chapters kind of detail where all of their different allotments of land would take place. There are some nuggets of truth. Again, we may come back to later. But for this context, I wanna skip all of that for now and come to Joshua chapter 20, talking about the concept of cities of refuge. So let's see what they say about this. Verse one, then the Lord said to Joshua, tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When he flees to one of these cities, he is to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state his case before the elders of that city. Then they are to admit him into their city and give him a place to live with them. If the avenger of blood pursues him, they must not surrender the one accused because he killed his neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. He is to stay in that, he is to stay in that city until he has stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who was serving at that time. Then he may go back to his own home in the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, 
and Kiriath Abba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. On the east side of the Jordan of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the desert on the plateau in the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. Any of the Israelites or any alien living among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. So what we see here are six cities of refuge. Someone kills someone accidentally, they can flee to that city. They can get to the city before the avenger gets to them. They have refuge and safety and protection and security in that city. Now the city of refuge give us uh, several interesting applications and insights and analogies that I wanna walk through this morning. The first one is what I'm gonna call the salvation story, the grace story. This passage gives us some insight just into salvation and grace itself. Verses three through six kind of give us uh, the insight here. If, if you can think on two tracks with me for a moment, the Joshua story, which is what we've read with the cities of refuge, and then the salvation story. I wanna do some compare and contrast for a moment and let you see some of the differences and some of the similarities. It's not exactly the same because with the cities of, of refuge, we're talking about pre-Christ. And now we're talking about post-Christ, so there's a little bit of a nuance there. But let me walk through it and see if we can grab the application. In the Joshua story, in those verses three through six, there are three primaries. There's the accuser, uh, excuse me, the accused. There's the avenger, and there is a refuge. In the salvation story, we have the same three primaries. We have the accused, which is you and I. We have the avenger, who is Satan, our enemy. And we have a refuge, which is God himself. In the Joshua story, the accused is innocent. The avenger is typically a relative of the one who was killed. And the refuge is a place. So the accused, who's innocent, is trying to run to the refuge before he can be unduly murdered by the avenger. Once he's in the refuge, he's safe. The salvation story is a little bit different. In the salvation story, the accused, we as the accused, are guilty. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone our way, each of us have gone our own way. There's none righteous, no, not one. We are guilty, we're not innocent. The avenger is Satan. The avenger is not a relative of the one that's been killed. In fact, he's an enemy of the one that's been killed. But he's also our enemy because he is the enemy of Christ. So he's not just pursuing us just for us, he's pursuing us to get back at Jesus Christ. But he is pursuing us and attacking us. Our refuge is God himself. Now what's interesting to me is our refuge is the God of the Son that we are guilty of crucifying. We're running to the one whose Son we are responsible for the death and he is providing safety and security from the avenger. A couple of main differences in these two stories. In the Joshua story, the accused is innocent so he's running to the refuge to prove his innocence, to have a chance to prove his innocence. In the salvation story, the accused is guilty and he's running to the refuge to obtain innocence, to receive 
innocence, to be declared innocent. In the Joshua story, the accused says, I did not murder that person, so protect me. In the salvation story, the accused is running to the refuge saying, I did crucify your son, so please forgive me. And that's the salvation story right there. When we come to the place where we realize I am responsible, even though I didn't drive the nails in the hands and feet literally, I'm responsible for the death of Jesus Christ and I run to God the Father and I say, I am guilty, would you please forgive me? And at that point, God redeems us, he cleanses us, he forgives us, he washes us white as new, he makes us innocent. He gives us his righteousness so that we become the righteousness of God. So we enter into that refuge as guilty. But once we get there, now we've become innocent. What a story of salvation that is. Verses seven through nine, though, we see another analogy, another word picture for the cities of refuge, and it's about God himself. There's a couple of characteristics about these cities that we see the same characteristics displayed in God himself. The first one is that the cities were specific. You see in those verses that the cities are, are detailed out. You couldn't just run to any city and find refuge. It had to be one of these very specific cities. Now for us, as a refuge, there is one refuge. There is one very specific refuge, and that's God himself. We can't just run to anything or anyone and expect this to receive this security and this refuge. Your wealth won't work. Your health won't work. There's not anyone, anyone else, anything else that'll provide this state of refuge. It's very specific. Secondly, the cities were highly visible. When you go through this, you'll see that each one of these cities were located either on a mountain or a mount or a hill or a mesa or a tableland, something like that where it was highly visible. So if this accused is running the city, he's being chased by the avenger. If he gets kind of turned around or lost or whatever in the, in the race, he can look back, he can see the city from a distance and know where the path is to the refuge. The truth for us this morning is that God is visible. God's not playing hide and seek with any of us. God wants to be Discovered. He wants to reveal himself. He's gone to great strides to reveal himself through creation, through his word, through his son. He's not playing hide and seek. He wants to have a relationship with you. He's made himself very clear and visible. Third characteristic, that these cities were accessible. They were placed all throughout the promised land, three on each side of the Jordan, north, middle, south, so that wherever you were, you could get to one of the cities. Some of the commentators actually say, regardless of where you might be in, in that land, you were never more than one day's travel to one of the cities of refuge. It's another truth about God for us. Not only is he accessible to us, uh, visible, he's accessible to us. There's a passage, Ephesians 2, 18, that says, through Christ, we have access to the Father by one spirit. In other words, when we come into Jesus Christ, we now have complete, unhindered access to God the Father. How? By his spirit, by his spirit that lives within us. Our spirit bears witness with his spirit that we're his children and our spirits can connect with one another and now we have complete access to the Father. We don't need to go through any rituals. We don't need to go through any other person to access God, to communicate with God. We have complete access. And here's the fourth characteristic. The cities were for anyone and everyone. If you look there in verse 9, it said, any Israelite 
any alien living among the Israelites could go to the city. It wasn't based on their influence. It wasn't based on what tribe they were from. It wasn't based on any elite status that they had. It wasn't dependent on anything anyone could go. And that's the same is true now. Any person has the opportunity to approach God and be received by God. Doesn't matter about our status, our income, or the way we're living. God's available to every one of us. Now, these two applications are what I'm calling just introductory application. This was all introduction. What I really want to get to now is to expand this concept a little bit about a refuge. What really is a refuge? When we say, God is my refuge, what are we saying? What does that mean? I want to broaden this out of Joshua a little bit. I want to go to the Psalms and, and see what the psalmist has to say about refuge because he gives us some great word pictures, if you will, some great definitions as to what a refuge is and who God is as our refuge. So here's the first one. God is my refuge means that he's my covering. God is my covering. Psalm 91.4 says, he will cover you with his feathers. And under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Psalm 61.4 says, I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Psalm 36.7, how priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. Now, when I read these passages, in my spirit, there just seems to come a just comforting. It's encouraging because these are images of nurture and compassion and care and love and comfort. And what's interesting to me is they use the analogy of a bird, the description of a bird, like a bird covers his young with his wings and his feather. This is how God covers us. That's interesting to me. Now, I know nothing about birds, but I did discover a few interesting facts. Here's fact number one. Birds go to great lengths to hide their nests from predators. I don't know if you've noticed that where you live. We've had several houses in Amarillo and it seems like in every house we have discovered nests in some really crazy places. We have found nests in our grill with nothing but a hole about that big to get in. We found nests at one house we had a the old clothesline, outside clothesline, we had those metal T posts. We had one of those in one of our house and there was a bird nest in that post. We actually had a bird house in the backyard at one point. Wasn't supposed to be a bird house, it was just decor in our patio, but it had a nest in it. There was one house underneath the eave where all your electrical stuff kind of comes into. There was a pole kind of connected, sticking out. There was a bird nest in there. We found them in all kinds of places. Why? Because they go to great lengths to hide their nest from predators. It's a word picture that we get here in, the, in covering because part of that dynamic means a secret place. Psalm 91.1 says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Now this word shelter literally means hiding place. It means a secret place. This word rest means to linger. And the word shadow means shade. So I could restate this passage this way more literally. He who dwells 
in the secret place of the Most High will linger in the shade of the Almighty. That's another ah, moment for me. Played in a little golf tournament Friday afternoon. It was 105 degrees outside. We're dying. So you're looking for those times when you can get underneath the tree and you can go underneath the tree in the shade and it's like, ah, it's like 10 or 20 degrees cooler. What a relief that is. Probably all of you have had those moments where you've been outside and it's just scorching heat, but then a big cloud almost by itself miraculously just kind of comes over in front of that sun and all of a sudden you've got this cloud in between you and the sun. And it's like, whew, the relief. That's the imagery here. That God becomes this covering that when life is just burning us up, we have this one who will cover us in his presence. Fact number two, bird nests are specific to the species. It's not one bird nest fits all. Every species of bird has kind of its own unique little nest and they craft their nest exactly the way that bird needs. The truth for us is that God's the same way. He crafts his coverage based on our need. He knows our needs so intimately that when we come to him, and we have need, he knows exactly what that need is. He knows exactly how to handle and cover that need. So he crafts his provision and his security around what that specific need is. Here's the third fact. Birds protect their young. Some of you have probably witnessed that too. This was way back, I was younger, college, young adult. I'd played golf some at Ross Rogers. And some of you, if, if you played there back then, they had a, a problem with kite birds. I think that's what they were called. These big black birds, kites. Man, they are vicious. They are aggressive and they are relentless. And so when they have their young, especially, they're crazy. So when you go into the trees, if you go into the trees at all, I mean, they're going to dive bomb you. They're going to come after you. The way I play golf, I'm in the trees a lot. So I'm just walking in the trees all the time. And these kites just come attack us. In fact, there were three or four times I got so close, I actually took my hat off of my head. So I got to where I just carried my golf club like this, and I'm just swinging away like a bat. They protect their young. Why? Because they are so protective, they so love, they're going to do whatever they need to do to protect their children. That's the way it is with God. He is jealous. <laughs> And he is determined to cover us, to protect us from predators, from the enemies, from those things that would seek to destroy us and discourage us. That's why he uses the imagery of a bird. Now, maybe for you, the covering of a bird doesn't connect. You don't know anything about birds either. That doesn't really connect. Let me give you another illustration about covering. Maybe this connects with you better. When I go outside, especially if I'm playing golf or at the hiking or somewhere where there, I know there's going to be a really hot sun and there are going to be mosquitoes. I have two coverings that I put on. One is sunscreen and one is insect repellent. That's going to stink the rest of the day. Sorry about that. Why do I do that? Well, because I want to cover my skin. If it's too hot out there, the sun is beating down and it's burning. I don't want to get burned, so I put on sunscreen so that I have a covering from the sun burning me. 
The reason I put on insect repellent is because out there you have swarming mosquitoes. I don't want the mosquitoes to bite, so I put the covering on to keep the mosquitoes away. Now, what's interesting is when I put on the sunscreen and I put on the insect repellent and I'm covered, the sun is still beating down and the mosquitoes are still swarming. The only difference is now the sun's not burning me and the mosquitoes aren't biting me. That's the way it is with God as a covering. God doesn't necessarily, if I can use the imagery, keep the sun from beating down or keep the mosquitoes from swarming you. But what he will do as your refuge is keep the sun from burning you and the mosquitoes from biting you. He may not calm every storm around you, but he will calm the storm within you when you run to him as your security and as your safety. So that's one image, that's one picture. When we say God is my refuge, that means God is my covering. Here's a second one. God is my stability. Several places in scripture it talks about a rock of refuge. Psalm 31, two. It says, turn your ear to me. This is a prayer to God. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge. Psalm 71, three says, be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. We know that the church, Jesus said, is built on himself, the rock. We know the parable between the two guys, one that built his house on the sand and the other that built it on the rock. What's the imagery for the rock in scripture? It's this dynamic of stability, of strength, of stability. What it means for God to be my refuge is I'm going to allow him to be my stability in an unstable world. The reality is there's nothing stable in this world. But God promises to be that rock and that stability. There's an old song, it was written probably 60s or 70s maybe, Dottie Rambo wrote it. Uh, Whitney Houston sang it and some other kind of big artists sang it. But here are some of the lyrics of the song. Who do I lean on when there's no foundation stable? I go to the rock, I know he's able. Where do I go when the storms of life are threatening? I go to the rock, I know he's able. When all the earth around me is sinking sand, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, when I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. Here's the reality of life. Everything in life is unstable. The economy is unstable. Our health is unstable. We never know what tomorrow's gonna bring. Our friendships are unstable. You never know what's gonna happen there. International relationships are unstable. Politics, as we've seen in our country, are unstable. Everything in life is unstable except God. And what God promises to be for us is that point of stability in the midst of a life that is unstable. And so the calling is to come, not to something else, not to depend on something else that is unstable, but to run to God when those storms come and let God be the stability in the midst of the storm. Here's the third word picture. That's defender. When we call God our refuge, we're saying that God is my defender. Psalm 1830 is a good word picture. It says that, speaking of God, that he is a shield for all who take refuge in him. 
Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Back to our Joshua story now, if you remember that. We have the accused, we have the avenger, we have the refuge. When the accused runs into the refuge, the city of refuge, what would happen once he got to the city of refuge, those in the city would protect the accused. So if the avenger made it to the city of refuge and said, let me in, they would not surrender the accused. They would stand in the gap, not letting the avenger in. So they were serving, as it were, as a shield in between the avenger and the accused. Basically saying, if you want to get to him, you have to come through us. That's the word picture of God is my defender. That when the avenger comes to pursue us and to devour us and to discourage us and to destroy us, what God says is I will be your refuge if you will run into me. I will defend you. I will be a shield to you in between you and the avenger. In other words, for him to get to us, he's got to come through God. Now, here's one little hitch in that. I call it a hitch because that's what we call it sometimes. God sometimes lets things through. <laughs> there are some storms, there are some tribulations, there are some issues of life. God doesn't stop all of that. We talked about that a little bit last week. Just because we're in Christ doesn't mean everything's smooth and easy and we're never gonna have a problem, we're never gonna have an issue. God allows some things into our life. He allows some struggle into our life. He doesn't keep every tribulation and everything at bay. But the only thing he lets come into our life are those things that will not destroy us or discourage us, but it will strengthen us and encourage us and make us stronger and better. In other words, everything he allows in, he's going to redeem for the good. All things work together for those. All things work for good for those that love the Lord. So whatever he lets in, he hasn't let that in so the avenger can have his way with us. He's let that in to strengthen us and make us more effective and more intimate relationship with him. That's the word picture. So, knowing that he is our defender and our covering and our stability, does that create, my desire, my desire this morning is that that creates for all of us Just a moment to know that I'm not free falling without a parachute. That there is a refuge. So when life seems to be unraveling, when the enemy seems to be advancing, when storms seem to be raging, when problems and struggles just seem overwhelming, we have a refuge. And we can run to that refuge and he will be our covering, he will be our stability and he'll be our defender. The key though, the key to all of this is we have to run to the refuge. See what's interesting in the story of Joshua 20, you have six cities of refuge. But someone, if they accidentally killed someone, they may never take advantage of the city of refuge. They may think, I can do this by myself. I don't need any help. Everything's good. And so they stay where they are and the avenger of blood comes and takes his life. So the accused had to run to the refuge. And the same is true for us. 
Our refuge does us no good unless we run to the refuge in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the tribulation, in the midst of the things in life that are tearing us apart, in the midst of those times when we feel like I can't go on, I can't defend. Those are the times. We don't try to fight it on our own, but we run to the refuge. We trust him and we abide in him. That's the key. We trust in him as the one and only stabilizing, defending force in our life. And we abide in him. And when we do that, we get to experience this dynamic just like a bird covering his children, her children. Or shade blocking the sun. He promises to be our strength when we're weak, our comfort when we're tormented, our wisdom when we're confused, our security when we're fearful, and our peace when we're anxious. So, let God be your refuge this morning. And in those times when the storm comes, run to the refuge, let him cover you. Let him stabilize you and let him defend you. Let's pray together. Maybe you need that this morning. Maybe life has been very difficult. Maybe this week has been very difficult. Maybe there are things going on in your life and in your family, in your situation, that man, it's difficult. God knows. He's accessible. He is visible. He is ready to receive you, to cover you, to defend you, to stabilize you, to strengthen you, to love you, to give you that moment where you can just relax and allow him to love you. If you need that, let him do that this morning. We have prayer team available. We'd love to pray with anyone. I'm available. We'd love to pray with you if you have that need. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing and pray and just give you a chance to respond to the Spirit. Father, we love you. Thank you that you are our refuge. May we trust in you. May we abide in you. May we run to you. May we allow you to be our refuge. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.